Hey creeps, producer and Coco Stash here. Today's episode covers abuse, sexual assault, and rape. I wanted to let you know at the top of the episode so that you can make an informed decision about how to best approach today's conversation. With that said, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello creeps, welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost, I mean host, for today's exciting tale of terror. Black Christmas 2019, or the Great Cursed Ooze Theory Debate. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to uh, uh, your final episode of Horror Vanguard for 2019, our first year of being a podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, we're, we're feeling the spirit of the season. We're feeling our history. Uh, so we are revisiting a timeless classic, Black Christmas, but record scratch. We're doing Black Christmas 2019, the movie that came out last week. John, how you doing? Good, good. I am very excited to be talking about this. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, we had we had a little bit of a, a pre-recording discussion, and uh, you and I are in complete agreement about everything, and this should be a quick episode <laughs> where there is no discourse. Yeah, it's it's, there, there will be no... Because di- this is not a film that has generated any discourse. There is There have not been takes abounding about this film. Uh, no, no, there hasn't, and why would there be? This is a very straightforward film that, that tries to challenge absolutely nothing... <laughs> And uh, it's a by the numbers remake of the original. I could not. I could not say that with a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right. So should we? Should we get into this? Let's let's do this. Um, yes. Yes. You right. So run it down for us, Ash. What is this film about? What is it doing? What is the plot? What is happening? Go. So for everyone, for everyone who's uh, not been playing the home game and hasn't been listening to our podcast since we launched, and no one listened to us for like four straight months, uh, the original, the original Black Christmas is a movie about a sorority house that is beset by a slasher killer. Uh, the slasher killer starts picking off members of the sorority house one by one, and a few adjacent people in the periphery. Uh, the the slashing is set to the backdrop of a young woman, and and this is uh, in the mid the early seventies, seventy four. Uh, a young woman is uh, navigating the uh, extremely difficult uh, kind of terrain in the seventies of choosing to get an abortion and her boyfriend not wanting that. So the film has the film has this very kind of kind of early. Uh, feminist discourse going on uh beneath a cacophony of uh serial killer slashings black christmas 2019 uh seeks to obviously as it is a remake it seeks to play in the same sandbox made by the original but update and uh advance the feminist interpretations so in this film we have a lot of the same we have the same setup right we have a House of sorority girls uh, on Christmas break. Some of them are staying behind. Some of them are leaving. And we have the kind of political backdrop of contemporary uh, feminist issues and kind of like the, you know, abortion in the 70s. Like abortion is still a a hot issue today, if you'll use the parlance like of hot button issues or whatever. Yeah, I suppose we should just get into it. I suppose we, we should just get into this movie. I mean, like describing the film... I, I think, like, we have to talk about this in concert a little bit with the original, 
since it is is a, a remake and it's doing and it's not just a, a, a by the numbers clone you know like i think um I, I would differentiate this remake from like let's say rob zombie's halloween a film i have in the past gone on the record as defending uh but but because i love tilting at windmills so it's a rob zombie's halloween is a beat for beat remake of the original Right, right. Rob Zombie makes aesthetic changes to, to the film to match his kind of like American carnivalesque that he likes to explore, right? And then he, he he does a little bit more character work in terms of of Michael Myers and his background and his family and stuff like that than we get in the original film. But outside of that, like uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween, if you've seen Halloween, you've seen Rob Zombie's Halloween. They're they're incredibly similar films. Black Christmas twenty nineteen. Uh, oh, go on, go on. I was just going to say that they are incredibly similar, but just one is um, almost better in every single is better in every almost every single metric uh, than the other. But yeah, very similar, really very deeply similar. I mean, just uh, one is better. Uh, uh, we will not make this uh, our our third episode on Rob Zombie's Halloween versus the original Halloween. <laughs> we have been there and done no. that. We, but, um, we've done that discourse to, to, to just finish my point um instead of being an aesthetic remake which this is partly because we're in 2019 you know it's been uh, what nearly 50 years since the original movie came out times have changed so of course the aesthetic is going to be different and it's going to be served differently but more more than being an aesthetic change this is a thematic shift right it's updating it's updating the politics that were inherent in the original film for a contemporary audience. And that's what I would label as kind of like the nexus of the change for this remake. Yeah. And um, I think if you're a fan of horror in any sort of kind of regard, you probably heard about this film before it was um, on general release because, oh boy, did it attract some discourse to it right um, the, the the demons of discourse found this film early and plucked it from its nest like a, like a beautiful little robin waiting to take flight because a lot of what this film is dealing with is um uh, casualized misogyny the rape culture of american universities um recovering from sexual violence and sexual assaults um and uh it does it it is very explicitly addressing those things um from what i would describe as a kind of liberal feminist point of view do you think that's is that is that a fair enough kind of way of putting it i would disagree <laughs> um uh, i would like to introduce our our listeners to my new catchphrase i would disagree but um so so i think i think you're right about pretty much everything um, I, I think like this movie is definitely uh, uh, deeply concerned with not only how uh, women experience the violence inherent in patriarchy, but how that violence is transmitted through men. And I, I would add that bit of nuance, but then I would also say that this movie challenges uh, quote unquote liberal feminism, right? I, th I think there are parts of this movie that that part of the horror of this film is that liberal liberal feminist approaches, are incomplete and can't can't actually they, they, it's like it's a you know you know the analogy is putting a band-aid on a broken arm you know like it, it might do it'll do something and that something might be good a little bit but it can't fix the underlying issue because of the inherent limitations of liberal politics more broadly but i mean like yeah that, that's I, I would i would i would differentiate this i don't think this movie is kind of like 
wholly beholden to the uh, kind of like liberal work within the system, incremental change view of of kind of feminist politics. I think there are aspects of this film that are trying to challenge that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's I think that's a a, re- a reasonable compromise. So we are at uh, Hawthorne College, an elite, uh, I think, private university. In, 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 in any um, case, it looks very posh. Uh, yeah, it is. There is a group of sorority sisters. There, certain people are going missing over the Christmas break. There is um, a masked killer on the loose who uses a bow and arrow. There is some weird stuff going on with the um, extremely uh, creepy uh, fraternity who yeah. have a fondness for um, robes and doing strange things behind the, the big doors of their fraternity house. Um, and that's where things start. That's where things kick off. And I think let's... Where, where, where do you want to begin with this? Because I think this is a film which... Uh, I think we may have some interesting discussions about. <laughs> uh, definitely, I think I think we should just start right right from the beginning, right? So, so the film is set up with our our lead character, uh, played by the fantastic, uh, Imogen Poots. Uh, the the character's name is Riley, and Imogen Poots just just absolutely nails this role, right? Uh, oh yeah, she's she's it, she's amazing. Yeah, you know, Riley winds up being not a very easy character to portray. And I, I would say that um, really, really, like only one of the sorority girls kind of falls into the stereotypical sorority girl mode. You know, the kind of like uh, ditzy blonde type thing. Um, yeah. But but the rest of them, they're they're agential characters. They're all nuanced. They all they all have like goals, wants, and needs that are expressed through the movie, and they do things to pursue them. And like like you know, Bechdel test stamp right on the right on the box. You know, Bechdel approved. So, so we we get we get this we get this setup where the where uh, the sorority house is preparing for their big Christmas music number, followed up by their big Christmas charity dinner. Uh, we we kind of get the idea that the uh, big Christmas dance that they're going to put on is is kind of like a sexy Santa Claus thing, right? We see some sexy Santa Claus outfits, and they're talking about their Christmas numbers. So, so we're thinking like. You know, like like a, like um, Mean Girls, right? Right. It's it's very clearly yeah, yeah. like the Mean Girls, you know, thing that they're trying to set up. Um, Im- Imogen uh, Poots' character Riley is very shy, very withdrawn. You know, she's she's confident when she's around her sorority sisters, but in kind of like broader contexts and larger social scenes, she's very timid and withdrawn into herself. Um, and we come to find out uh, through through the course of the film that she was um, sexually assaulted by a frat member. Uh, previously, and and that's kind of what causes her to become withdrawn and to to retreat into herself. And then uh, the other character, uh, played by Elise Shannon, Chris, uh, uh, she she's kind of like the campus ra- campus rabble rouser, you know, like like she she started the petition to move the uh, statue of the founder of the college off of the campus grounds because he was a racist slaveholder and she's currently got a petition going to try and get a professor removed from his post because of misogynistic comments he made uh and that's that that's kind of that's the background that's where that's where we all start and in the opening sequence um a member of a different sorority house um part of the same campus is is killed by a robed figure 
Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I guess I guess the first thing I'll bring up is is something I liked that was kind of an iteration from the original, right? In the original movie, um, a, a lot of the tension is set around the fact that the killer, the slasher, is is calling these sorority girls and saying horrible things to them over the phone. Um, and, that, and that's been kind of updated to today because now they're using a texting app to text them the, the same kind of, of of kind of like horrible like uh, abusive stuff. Yeah, and and we get we get a scene towards towards the end of the film where uh, Riley tries to go to the campus security officer again, like a scene that echoes the original. And in the original, the the cops were very dismissive of like, oh, you're getting weird phone calls, whatever. It's just a prank. And then this cop is like, what's a DM? What's the internet? Like, I'm just an old man. I don't know what any of this stuff is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I do I do like that. I mean, like, it's a small point. I mean, I don't think it's worth dwelling on, but I do like how they up, up, updated that. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't have the same kind of gushing praise for this that you do, but I think there's actually a lot about this. <laughs> there's a lot about this which is interesting and that I really want to like. Um, I think, I think updating the the kind of classic setup is is really good and really important i think the themes that it tackles are um, vital and you know incredibly timely i think the fact that image and poots is leading the role is leading the film great i'm a huge fan of image and poots i think she's fantastic and i do i do like the fact that they've kind of um broadened out the story you know they've given it a little more kind of depth there's more going on here um so there's a lot that I really want to like, and um, I don't I don't know if this film I don't know maybe by the end of our conversation you will have talked me round onto this film, <laughs> but there's a lot about this there's a lot about this which which it just sort of loses me quite a lot. Yeah, so I guess I guess let's um let's start let's start with the first big I, I think what I would call the first big plot point. Uh, kind of, kind of like like one of the first incidents that um, so so we have we have this kind of unnamed or she she might have been named but I missed it this this kind of like a minor minor character sorority girl who is taken out by one of the robed figures right in the beginning uh, but then yeah. but then everything kind of like you know uh, leads up and builds to the big dance number right and and mm-hmm. Imogen Poots's character Riley and her sorority sisters are doing a a sexy Christmas dance at the kind of it's like a fraternity sorority mixer event it looks like or like like a like a campus christmas type thing um and and they get on stage and and the first couple verses are it's just kind of like a a cute and sexy christmas song i guess is how i would describe it and they're doing like a like an awkward little dance number with it and and uh prior to this riley has been she she does not want to participate in this because we we know that one of her abusers is going to be in the audience and at this point in the movie, we don't really uh, know what happened to Riley. We know, we know something bad happened to her. We know it was some kind of assault, but we don't have the details yet. Uh, so, so they do this musical number, and the musical number winds up being a call-out of the fraternity uh, that one of their members had uh, raped Riley previously. Mm. Um, and, and it is just kind of like this massive call-out of fraternities and that culture and, and sexual assault in general. And and we see we see this moment where Riley's character pivots a little bit. And she goes from being shy and withdrawn to being to being agential to being active to kind of getting her own. And then the uh, the, the sorority sisters, you know, like uh, they leave the event afterwards because of course they just did something incredibly inflammatory and they're not going to hang around. Uh, but prior to that, Riley had actually stopped one of the members of that same fr- fraternity 
from assaulting one of her sorority sisters in the same manner that she was assaulted, I, I think we're led to believe in the previous year. Yeah. And so so this is this is the big this is the big first plot event. And all of that all of that I think is really good. And like you have these you have these uh four young women in this incredibly hostile environment that feels really real and incredibly yes. grounded yes. and like all of that really good i'm totally on board with that um and the way that they handle it you know it's funny it's really brave um like it makes a point that is kind of uh devastating they get like cheers from certain people they're getting stuff thrown at them they kind of run out and it's a really it's a real high point i really really like that opening kind of major plot point i think that's done so well unfortunately in my opinion it goes downhill from there okay cool well i i like this because because we can agree that up until this point the the, the film has to get or i guess can we agree that up until this point the film has been like I would say fairly strong in setting up its thematics and kind of building the initial tension. And and I feel that up until this point, like all of, all of the buildup that we're getting is solid. Um, no, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the opening, the opening kind of, uh, first kill the first person who disappears. I think that's done in a way that is not very effective. I, I it lacks the necessary tension, I think it gives away way too much of what it's happening right at the start. I think the the character moments between Riley and her three friends are the strongest. I think the other incidental characters in this sorority have a tendency to fall into pretty tight, like really unimaginative stereotypes. You know, you have the her her, her person who's across the hall is like. Uh, Jewish and wears the big glasses and wears dungarees and is very kind she's, of she's the wacky comedian. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, yeah, oh come on, could we not have could we not have kind of rounded these characters out a little bit? I, I, I will I will agree sequence... that a lot of the a lot of the tertiary sorority sisters, not not Riley and her main group, uh, uh, that like the, the the main group of sorority sisters that are all together when the big attack happens, but the ones that start to get picked off before that. They're 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 definitely like they're they're very cookie cutter and quick characters. I mean, I but, I wasn't super bothered by that because I think one thing that um I think is it's worth keeping in mind while talking about this film is that this was written and filmed within eight months, and that is yeah, a yeah. snappy turnaround, even for a a relatively low budget mainstream horror film. Like you know, an estimated budget of five million dollars and a a writing, revising, shooting, and editing time of five months or um, eight months is a that is a rapid that is a shotgun turnaround for a film. Yeah, and but that sequence where um, Riley and her sisters go over to the to the frat house and Riley gets one of her friends who's had too much to drink away from this creepy lecherous guy. Um, and kind of steps up and performs the number all of that's really good and really solid and i think it's it's anchored by um imogen poots and the actor who plays chris um whose name i can't remember i think those two really uh, kind I, of hold that whole thing together uh, elise shannon i believe was her name elise shannon yeah i think that that's really really good um that and i wish more of the film was like that because that has that has a little more subtlety to it. It has a bit more 
um it handles it handles what it's trying to do without being so kind of crude and on the nose and and uh, kind of technically sloppy but all of that that kind of sequence uh, where, which which i think ends with them running out of the hall and running off into the night to go celebrate that's really really good that's a kind yes. of real high point and I, th- I think i think part of the difference in our critique is that i'm willing to forgive this movie for being technically sloppy like like the reason that, that i really you know like yes the tertiary characters are just like you need a quick cookie cutter character here's a couple really solid stand-ins right but like yeah, yeah, yeah. you 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 write this thing for a low budget you turn it out in eight months like you have to you're working under really tight conditions and you have to make decisions what's getting cut you can have every character be like kind of okay or you can have your central core be like fairly solid characters and then your tertiary characters are just like they're they're essentially stock footage you know copy pasted in from somewhere yeah, else but but i think this gets to the heart of it right which is like this is a film that's clearly been edited to within an inch of its life to get it into the ninety-minute runtime, um, and as you say, made and written incredibly quickly. Yeah. But constra- constraints, um, I think, should force you to think f- much more creatively. And I think a lot of this is done in a way that's far too expected. Yeah, and I think that's the problem. That's the problem. I, I, I think I think you're entirely right about that critique. I just think our, our difference in the appraisal of that is like I don't mind it, but like I just I'm just not so bothered by the parts of this that are that are sloppy, because because everything else I think is done to to a degree and done uh, with, with the kind of nuance that I would want it to be done with. That the fact that there are parts that are just like mm, I, I can live with that well this is the thing because to me i think the parts which kind of i'm like i slightly cringe or have clearly been rushed or to me they outweigh all of the stuff which i like i think the premise is is so good and i think the 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 lead the two lead actors are brilliant but i think a lot of a lot of the potential of the film is not harnessed properly and is wasted so I guess I guess that would be a good uh, jumping off point uh, to to kind of discuss the, the 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 broader thematics these things these things the film is trying to do how it's doing them through its characters and through its plotting and through its devices and and how the the limited budget the limited time kind of caused these things to succeed or to fail by our estimation as as independent movie critics <laughs> yeah. Um, how, how do so I get Rotten Tomatoes I verified? It, do I just like say that on my podcast and someone will grant it to me? I think that's what we have to do. I want, I want to give this film a hundred <laughs> just to skew the results. Um, I think, I think uh, one that would be really funny, <laughs> and two, and two um, let's not let's not like lie. I think an awful lot of the kind of negative. Um, vicious backlash has been because it's an explicitly feminist film. Oh yeah, yeah. I, 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 I is, would is the vast with... majority. As I, I was scrolling through Rotten Tomatoes and I, I watched all the big YouTuber movie critic guys review of this film. Yeah, and all of them, like all of the, all of like the most hit negative reviews were like, "Oh, this film is too on the nose with its politics," and and you can do politics, you just don't be on the nose about it, and like that's that's just that's such a bullshit critique like to be honest like to be very frank like the critique that like like a movie like this is too on the nose it's like nobody would be saying that about like uh american sniper 2 quest for freedom 
you know like it, it would be you and i and like hammer and camera that would be like okay that movie is really on the nose with its propaganda but every all these other critics yeah, would be yeah. like the action was great the movie was solid the terrorists got shot good film you know like the, the only uh, reason we're saying you know that what? this one is on the nose is because it is a direct assault on on the kind of dynamic flow of patriarchal power between men and how that constitutes uh, uh what what is kind of referred to culturally as a rape culture you know what yeah that that i'm totally with you i'm totally with you on that um and then we get i think it's i think it's just after the scene where they run out the next day they're in class and they're taking a classics uh course which um to my amazement was being taught by dr jordan b peterson who I didn't I didn't realize had a cameo in the film. I mean I mean um, bold bold casting for the character of uh, Professor Gelson there. Yeah, uh, Jordan B. Peterson, uh, who even goes so far as to like, oh, this is one moment I really didn't like. I really I was really like I I knew who it was he was quoting. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I so as soon as I realized yes. I was like, oh come on, don't 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 do that, don't oh come on. So so he starts talking about mm-hmm. he he starts quoting um, uh, Camille Paglia and then asks. Yes asks Riley, so what do you think this author is trying to say? And then goes, ah, you said it was a man, but what if I told you it was not a man? Checkmate feminists. <laughs> so I, I would honestly be really interested to find out where um, uh, either of the two writers of our film, um, either uh, Sophia or Wolf, uh, went to college because I literally had a professor with the same affects as Professor Gelson do that Peglia quote to the class. That's amazing. And like, like literally beat for beat, I watched this scene unfold in my actual lived fucking life. That's, that's, un, that's unreal. That's unreal. He, cause he basically tells, tell, cause to me, I don't know whether that says, this probably says something about, you know, uh, the difference between the uh, higher education in the UK and America. To me, the idea of that happening in, in, in an actual classroom is genuinely absurd. <laughs> I, I had, it, it, was, it was, it was really funny. I had a, I had a classics professor in my undergrad and he, he was an absolute relic from, from a bygone age of, of education. And he was, he was one of, one of those features of academia where they've just been there so long that no one can fire them or critique them anymore. Yeah. Uh, but, but his big thing was, was like every third lecture was like, uh, it was it was either isn't Christianity obviously correct or isn't feminism a a poorly uh, crafted endeavor, and he was massively insufferable. I mean, yeah, I I I I, I thought it it was you know good on good on Doctor Peterson for actually appearing in the film. Okay, can, can we talk? Um, can we talk about who actually played this character? <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, so, because because you're right. Like this is this is like I mean like they are kind of playing on that trope, right? Because there are so many like right-wing quote-unquote intellectuals that masquerade as academics and having any academic merit and all they're spitting out is the exact same kind of shit that Professor Gelson is. Yeah, yeah. So it, he's played by um Carrie Elwes um and here's, here's the other thing. I think the film shows its hand in terms of story structure way too early. Because uh, if you if you don't know that he is, of course, profoundly involved with uh, what's happening at the end of the film, I, I've, I firmly believe you've never seen a film before. <laughs> <laughs> if, if the 
if his introduction and the end of the film uh, are a surprise to you, um, congratulations on seeing your first motion picture. Um, welcome to narrative storytelling. <laughs> so, so uh, but Carrie Elwes is is very I you know he he does the kind of like creepy slightly. Um, he was so fucking good as the role of Professor Gelson. As Professor Jordan B. Gelson. Yeah, Jordan B. Gelson. <laughs> but he was he was just he's every scene he is in, he is absolutely chewing the scenery as as being kind of a misogynistic, patriarchal asshole. Yeah, absolutely. Um uh, yeah, he's 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 got his own YouTube channel. Um, he he's been on the Ruben Report. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I would I, I was honestly like I was kind of waiting for that. I was kind of waiting for him to, to be like <laughs> like if you you buy my new rule my my new book Ten Rules for Academic Life. You know, like I was kind of waiting for the <laughs> the, the, the the turn to complete itself. You know. Uh, yeah, 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 and so and so, um, Chris is organising a petition to have Gelson um, fired. Yeah, because uh, he refuses to include um, any women or people of colour or female um, uh, scholars who are not white on his curriculum. It's all he's only teaching dead white males. Um, and so the, the, she's organizing and collecting signatures after this class where he he pulls out his facts don't care about your feelings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he's he and so they're all trying to organize this petition. And this is what, you know, this is our kind of inciting incident uh, coupled with their performance at the frat house uh, previously. I might be. Get, am I? Am I getting the order of those those scenes wrong? It might be the other way around. I think it's the other way. I think the classroom is before the big Christmas performance. Okay, so yeah, so those are our, those are our two, um, those are our two kind of key moments. Um, yeah, and Carrie Elwes is is just clearly having an absolute ball. I, honestly, um, one of my one, one of my minor complaints about this film is that I believe Carrie Elwes was like. I, I don't think this role was written for him because because he is he's so fucking charismatic and charming and like good at chewing scenery that putting him into kind of like a tertiary role, you know, like 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 Imogen Poots is an amazing actor, like she's incredibly fucking talented. But Carrie Ellis is a career actor, and he has been like he spent his entire life were honing his craft, you know. Yeah, yeah, and like he just—he just kind of it, the scenes that he is in, he kind of manages to steal those moments. Yeah. Um, and there is, there is, I think this is a good way of talking about why, why what, one of the things that I I don't necessarily like about the way that he's written in the film, because if you contrast those two sequences in the frat house and in the lecture theater. I think the one in the frat house is is far more effective. Oh yeah, I agree. Because because I think this film is at its best when it when it is incredibly grounded in uh the kind of normalized tension of hetero het patriarchal rape culture. But I again, this is maybe a kind of difference in UK higher ed and American higher ed, but that scene in the classroom, if it, it feels like a caricature, 
it it doesn't feel grounded it doesn't feel it doesn't feel as as real and therefore it doesn't have the same kind of tension and and narrative use as that incident in the frat house i guess i guess i guess like um because i, I lived an experience incredibly similar to that right like have, having a professor who was flat out saying that, that 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 feminism isn't or not i mean like uh professor gelson doesn't flat out say that feminism isn't critically useful but he might as well you know like that's clearly the point he's driving at and like i i have i have been sat in classrooms where a professor has just flat out said that feminism isn't useful for critical theory and 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 unironically just kind of uncritically throws that phrase out to a room of undergrads and so like for me that sequence with riley in the classroom with gelson especially knowing because like like there are power dynamics under there because gelson knows that riley's friends are trying to get her fired gelson knows that the frat house that he's deeply connected with has sexually assaulted these women and by the end of the film we know that gelson will try to kill riley later that night you know or, no, no, or no, no. not not by the end of the film like when okay. you saw the trailer, I mean, it depends. <laughs> if, if you watch, I mean, like, so I think that's a problem with the trailer. Like, whatever. Um, I don't know if Blumhouse does their own trailers. No, I assume I, they I, ship I them out to point. a trailer company, like most production studios. But um, whoever cut the trailer, I, I think, did a really bad job because they put way too much in. It was like an '80s movie trailer, where it, where where the the '80s movie trailer would be like like four women alone in a sorority house get revenge on the evil cult of demons led by professor gelson at the end of the night they burn down their fraternity house coming out this december like that's the 80s equivalent of the trailer and that's pretty much what we got mm-hmm. but like i i guess it, it might be a difference of like you're, you're right i think it might, might be a difference of of kind of like academic scenes and how these tensions play out because because i've kind of like i've kind of watched these things happen in classrooms in my undergrad like 10 million years ago when i did that before before the earth had formed from dust when i did my undergrad <laughs> <laughs> oh man. but yeah like like so so i i thought that that, that, that um, scene worked but, incredibly yeah, well so, for me so uh our story moves on some of the tertiary characters from the sorority have left and have gone missing they haven't been able to go home or they haven't arrived home and we get to um Riley and uh, Riley and her friends they all share the fact that they have been getting these weird creepy DMs from an account pretending to be the founder of the university uh, and that is where we have the kind of they're, they're in the house now um, using a bow and arrow which is interesting I mean like I, I appreciated like I appreciated the bone. The bone arrow was a fun touch, and I liked I liked the killing someone with Christmas lights. That's always seasonally appropriate. Uh, the the bag over the head kill was was a wonderful throwback. I, I, I guess if we're gonna run down the kills, I liked that. I liked that a lot, actually. That was a cute way to nod to the original. So so okay. So uh, fast forward a bit through the film, right? We're we're and and the uh, the, the attacks are beginning, right? The the cultists have shown up. I, I liked these sequences. I liked the 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 cute little nod with the uh, Riley killing one of the cultists with a bag over the head. That's a nod to the original film. I thought that mm. played really well. In terms of like a little a little you know a cute referential throw, people who are fans of the original would get that and enjoy it. So I liked that. Um, I really liked. Uh, I think his name was Nate. I think that's Simon Mead's character, but I, I mean, I might be confusing all the frat boys because I think they were intentionally very homogenous. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, so uh, one of the sorority sisters, um, was it Lily Donahue's Marty? I think it might have been Marty, but I might be wrong. Um, is dating a, a frat boy, um, and he, and he's and he's complaining of migraines and like all, all throughout the, the movie, he's been a, a, a deeply in the background. But like he's been, he's been like a good boyfriend, and he's been kind of always there and stuff, and very soft spoken. But like it, once they get back to the house, he all of a sudden becomes like, uh, like 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 a like a, you know like a YouTube alpha male guy, and he starts shouting at his girlfriend and like complaining about feminism and how it oppresses men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. actually, oh, yeah. actually, this is part. I wanted to jump back a bit because that's part of there's that's part of maybe. And another really good section of the film, which is this, where the, you kind of start building. They, they, this is a bit this this. I think it's. I think basically what I like is like the first forty five minutes of this <laughs> film, um, because you start. They start kind of building this 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 idea of being being uh, like a small group of women trapped in an incredibly macho, hostile environment. You know. There, there's the insinuation that Gelson knows that they're trying to get him fired. Um, like there are portraits everywhere. There are lots of these kind of carved statues everywhere. Lots of windows everywhere. There's the uh, the security guard. I just looked it up. It's called Gil, mm-hmm. and he's like, like mayonnaise has never looked so gross. I, I, so I was <laughs> cracking up in that scene where where he's pouring mayonnaise on a white bread and ham sandwich. Yeah, and it, and it's it's the most like like it was hilarious, and it was like okay, like I see the joke you're making here, but it's still really funny. Um, and then then just before that argument with uh, Nate, there's an argument between Riley and Chris, which I think is really good. Yes, because it builds off it builds off the fact that they recorded their little stunt at the frat house, and without asking. Riley, uh, Chris posts it online, and there's this really kind of like, because they're both kind of right here, <laughs> they're both sort of in the right, and they 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 have this really intense argument about who's actually to blame for the fact that now all of these these uh, physically and sexually dangerous men are incredibly angry at them, um. I think that bit's really, really good. And that's where Nate kind of, who's been complaining of migraines, kind of storms out after going, after not all menning, right? Yeah, yeah, he literally, right he literally not scene. all mens them, yeah. Yeah, I definitely... Um, so that bit, I think, is really good. I, I, I liked the, the, the YouTube video aspect of it, right? Because that was, that was a really big, it was a really good uh, character tension between Chris and Riley, right? Chris is running all these protests on campus. She's she's always like she's always like got a clipboard in hand and trying to get more names on a petition. And Riley, it, but we we never really get the hint that Chris has kind of experienced anything that like like what Riley has. And Riley, uh, you know, she's responded to her trauma by becoming withdrawn personally, and that's a character tension between the two of them because Chris wants Riley to become a quote unquote fighter again, but Riley doesn't know how she wants to navigate this space. And, and Chris kind of impulsively uploads this video, but fails to realize that the end of the video features a clip of Riley making a very scathing statement that even though it's we know it to be true in the text of the film, we know how those kind of statements play out in the real world. And I think like that was that was such a good a good character moment between the two of them. Yeah, that that 
that was the first time that I was like, okay, that little group is, it's starting to kind of, I get it. I, I sort of get it. Bef- beforehand, I felt that the script often fell into very easy uh, cliches and stereotypes and buzzwords and kind of, uh, but didn't actually kind of coalesce into go into making me go, oh yeah, I, I kind of see that these are realistic people. But that argument and that moment when Nate storms out and there's the kind of shocked realization that they're kind of alone I was like, yeah, okay, I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, I think like like an, an important thing to point out here. Let's um, kind of have an, an anachronistic uh, 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 sidebar about how this film deals with masculinity. Yes, and, and it's and it's varying characters and things like that. Because I thought that this was one of the the best parts of the film, right? Is because and honestly, something that's better than the original Black Christmas. Because the killer in the original Black Christmas, just a crazy guy. Just another, yeah, just yeah. another slasher killer that has a mental illness, and that's one of horror's worst tropes that it still crutches onto this very day. Um, but we've got in, in this movie, uh, it's it's a cult, it's a cult of fraternity bros, right? Um, but we have we have another man in this movie. There there is another gentleman who kind of uh, exists outside of the mold, sort of, and it's Landon, uh, played by yeah. uh, Caleb Eberhart, Elberhart, I think. Um, and Landon is very soft-spoken, and we we our first introduction to him is he's trying to flirt with Riley while Riley is working as a barista, but he's very shy and uncertain uncertain about how to go about it. And when he when he makes a move, he kind of apologizes, but we we get the idea that he's not apologizing because he's timid. He's apologizing because like he, I think he's like meta aware that like you know the emotional labor of baristas right like it might seem like they're flirting with you but like that often can be misconstrued by heterosexual patriarchy with the emotional labor necessary in customer service roles Mm -hmm. and like like we you know it never comes across that that landon is like you know uh a super feminist you know like quoting bell hooks or something but like he, he is he is nevertheless representing an, an alternative depiction of masculinity, one that is much more aware of of the hazards that that women have to navigate. Mm. And and I really liked that uh, about Landon's character, especially like um, if if you want to get into the cult, I really like Landon's involvement with the cult. Yes, yes, and, that's and the how, one and how element the cult, of the cult that I think is yeah actually good yeah and i i i would just add to that that like i also really love how the cult depicts and and presents and kind of navigates like uh the the dangerous and violence uh inherent in heterosexual patriarchy like like i know like obviously in the real world no one's walking around with a cursed statue uh being like okay you're a violent patriarch now that you've got cursed statue juice but 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 to, to to just to just briefly like I mean like at least that that's not what I experienced. It might be different in the UK. <laughs> but um so so the cult right like I mean uh, uh, heterosexual cisgendered men aren't born patriarchal tyrants right like this isn't the natural state you know like this is this is something that is forced we're forced into these molds by other men who have already been forced into these molds right it's passed down from from men to men throughout society it's transmitted just like the evil cult transmits its powers right you know older men in authority who who are benefiting from the power that you you can get uh through the uneven distribution of power dynamics uh that that comes from the patriarchy are transmitting it down 
and indoctrinating men into this system, right? Not encouraging them to be critical, encouraging them to take advantage of it, right? And like, like we see that that's how Landon falls into it. He breaks into the frat house to try and like create a distraction so Riley can go solve the the cult mystery on her own, but he's like immediately caught, and then like the cult magic starts to work its way into his brain, right? And you get the um. Uh, you know, he gets the migraine. He he passes out, right? They they kind of like bless him with the black ooze from the statue, you know. And like like the 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 metaphor is it's very it's very direct, but I don't have a problem with that because like that's the, the this is like a a spooky uh, metaphor for how how this works in the real world, right? Like you're indoctrinated into these systems, and then you become an abuser along with everyone else who's been indoctrinated. Hello again, listeners. More editorial comment than usual on today's episode. Due to some diabolical technical problems, the second half of the episode was lost. But don't worry, you can look forward to Black Christmas 2019 Part 2, The Discoursening, coming as a bonus episode in early January. Will we agree on anything? Will minds be changed? You're just going to have to stay tuned to find out. I wanted to close out with a part of the conversation that was recovered. This was the heart of my positive takeaway from the film, and I would be remiss to see it lost to the cutting room floor. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Have a happy new year, and stay spooky. And we, we even have a dialogue between them where Chris is like, Riley, you used to be a fighter. You've lost your spirit. You can't fight anymore. And then we get to this car scene, right, where they're being chased by, by hyper-masculine, hyper-patriarchal cultists who, who are trying to kill all the unruly women alive right in in order to bring about a trad calf nightmare world and then chris is like okay we're gonna go to the cops where they're, they're gonna hear us out and they're gonna save us and and riley is like no we're gonna go to the fraternity and we're gonna fucking end this you know like like that, that's what this is like riley uh uh when riley realizes that this is something magic that this is something occult that this is something greater right it, it reminds me of the realization that you know, working within the system sometimes isn't enough. You know, sometimes you need to find new ways to do things, right? Sometimes it's not enough to circulate a petition to remove somebody. Sometimes you have to protest in their classroom, like we're seeing in the United States against some abusers who are like in classroom protests that feminist groups are doing to get abusers out of the classroom, right? Sometimes you have to abandon kind of like the, oh, let's do a petition and then we'll rally together and it'll win. Sometimes you have to like show up with a classroom that says like, oh, this teacher is a sexual assaulter while they're fucking teaching to really drive it home. And that's what Riley realizes. Riley realizes that like, I mean, like she already knows that the cops aren't going to help because they didn't, right? She knows that there's no one she can turn to besides herself and her sisters and her sisters won't go with her. So she'll go alone, you know? And then, and then Chris is kind of left to, to weigh the stuff and when Chris sees another sorority house full of other sisters in peril she too realizes that like Riley was correct that that her attempt to fix the situation with the trappings of kind of like liberal politics is insufficient and you need to do something more akin to direct action you need to do something more akin to like a wildcat strike you know so they roll up to the house armed with like whatever they could get their hands on they've got like you did bats and just kind of junk because they did this in like two minutes or something and then like and then they 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 do a direct assault on on the fucking cult you know they, they don't like go to the cops and they do a petition and then and then contact the media and like do it in kind of a very documented and slow liberal way they they go they 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 go and directly confront their assaulters they they go and directly find their justice 
and they do it with a community built built of their peers built of people who've gone through the same thing and then uh, uh one, one thing that i really like as i you know i mentioned before landon kind of snaps out of it you know landon realizes that that he should be allied with these women and not this fucking cult and so he he throws down and he joins in the effort and it becomes this collective act of liberation against systemic oppression and i fucking love that <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>